Hello and welcome to the Talkspot. I'm Tim Scott, and for the next couple of episodes, we're going to bring you some interviews we did at the recent ANZFSS conference in Perth. One of the things we like to do on the Toxpod is highlight interesting work that's being done by people working in the field of toxicology, and also to glean some wisdom from those who've spent their lives furthering the science behind what we do. Today you're going to hear a conversation between myself and Hee-Sun Chung, who is a professor at Chungnam National University in Korea. She was, until a few years ago, Director General of the National Forensic Service in Korea, and she served on a number of international boards relating to forensic science, including being President of the International Association of Forensic Toxicologists, TEFT, until 2017, and she's still on the board of TEFT. She's published many papers and won many awards, and it was my pleasure to have a chance to sit down and talk with her at the conference. Hope you enjoy the interview. So thank you very much for joining me, Hee-Sun. Thank you very much for having me. You gave an excellent keynote presentation this morning at the conference. Thank you very much. And I was really interested to hear about your personal journey in forensic science. Yeah. And going back to when you started, yes. you had some uh, some issues when you first decided to get into forensic yes. science. It was a long, long time ago. Actually, in 1978, I was a student at the university school of pharmacy. And I think that was my junior year. At that time, the director general of National Forensic Service came to my school to give a very special lecture. It was all about the forensic toxicology. And while hearing his lecture, I was just fascinated all about the science and forensic toxicology and everything. So I decided to pursue my career in forensic science instantly. And so I just applied for the job later after graduation. And then I just got the job there at the National (laughs) Forensic Service. And you've mentioned before that you had some... Uh, initial pushback from your own family even about going into this field? Actually, at the time, forensic science implied just forensic pathology. So everybody thought about the forensic science would be the one dealing with the dead body. So my family, when I just mentioned to them I am coming that field, they were scared and they just persuaded me not to go to that place because they just <laughs> mentioned all about dead body and how I can just handle the all dead body every day. And at that time, only in Korea, forensic, when, whenever we just mention about forensic, um, this equal to the forensic pathology and forensic medicine. So everybody thought only forensic is equal to the forensic pathology, forensic medicine. So that's why my family thought that's the where I am. I was heading for. <laughs> so they were scared, and they, yeah, they pursued me many, many days. But since I made my mind, I actually instead I just pursued them. And so I told them it's the thing I really wanted to go. And then later they just said yes. But it took quite a long time. Yeah, you sound like a very determined person. Oh, yes, just for that. Because I don't know why I just made that kind of decision. But actually, after 20 years later, when I met my friend who just heard the same lecture together, and we just talked about why I just decided to come to this place, to NFS. But 
actually my friend, they didn't remember anything about the lecture. I was the only one to remember that lecture. So I thought that's the thing. Only sometimes one person can be influenced by some things, not all of them. It was quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that determination has obviously helped you throughout your career. You were oh, the yes. first female director of the National Forensic Same. Service in Korea, yeah. the first female president of the International Association of Forensic Science. Were you conscious during that time that you were a role model for other women who were following behind you? Uh, I think so. I, I always think that's why whenever I reach some places, I always thought it might be... Uh, actually, uh, sometimes I have to be very modest, but since I reached that position, it just gives some kind of reflection to the, my student or my colleagues. And so I think it's a, somebody needed to lead the way up then mm. then the woman ladies i i mean not just for the woman and ladies i think everybody somebody in the forensic science could have a kind of aim or a goal to reach some places so i think that's very important somebody to lead the way up and so has the situation in korea changed now where it's it's acceptable for young people and young women especially to go into forensic sciences yeah it's Actually, when I entered the National Forensic Service, there were only three ladies at the time. Right. I was the third one to get there. But now, it is almost 30% of female scientists are working in the National Forensic Service. So I think it's a huge, huge influence. on. The, so ladies can work in there, and they are doing well. Here, I saw so many female scientists. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a good sign. Just like here, in Korea also, there are so many the ladies just pursue their career in forensic science. And actually, one thing is the forensic pathology. As I mentioned, when I entered that place, and my family just always mentioned about that body. But actually, 20 years later, and there was just only one pathologist with the female one. But now, there are, I think, one-third of the pathologists are female. So I think it has changed a lot. Yeah, a, l- yeah. a lot of changes since you started in 1978, did you yeah. say? Yeah. And a lot of changes in uh, laboratory techniques oh, as well much, since much. you started. What, what yeah. do you think has been the biggest development in laboratory techniques over that time? I think the instrument, especially GCMS, GCMS made a lot of difference. Actually, in old days, when I entered there, at f- the first instrument I used was the HPLC. Actually, I just used the HPLC, just isolated some carbohydrates and some uh, some drugs by the HPLC. But at the time, we didn't have any mess. Uh, it was only in 1980. But when we had a GC, it was just okay. We can, we need a standard all the time to identify that. But when GCMS came, things were changed a lot, and especially GCMS at the library. I think it made a lot of difference to identify the unknowns. I think that was the turning point for the forensic toxicology in Korea. I think any other place same too. And also immunoassay. I think that's one thing for a good development for us. By immunoassay, we can just screen all the urines very easily. And then we can just 
apply GCMS latent confirmation. So that's the one. I it certainly made things a lot more efficient, mm, hasn't efficient. it? Efficient. And actually, that would make things impossible to the possible. In old days, actually, it was almost impossible to identify the unknowns. If we just know the unknowns, we couldn't just find identify that if we don't have any standard. It was almost impossible to identify things. But now we have a library, and so it's different. You've been involved in a lot of cases in your lab where no common drugs were detected and you had to go searching for some unknown compounds. This is such a difficult thing to do, and there's been a bit of talk about it here at the conference this week. What advice would you give to laboratories who are trying to improve their capabilities in detecting unknown poisons and drugs? I think it's very important to just basic is the most important thing. And when you just extract some unknowns, whether it's the basic extraction or SD extraction, something like in old days, we always use that kind of things, the basic extraction and the SD extraction. So we just compared those kind of things. But that's why I think it's very important you have to know the basic theory, how you can just extract the unknowns from, from the beginning. And then you could just figure out whether it's a basic compound or SD compound. I think those kind of very important. And most importantly, I think you have to have some kind of your mind to just think about that all the time, how you can just find out the substances, what we like to be. Actually, let me just tell you one example. In Korea, there was a very famous singer died and so he, after autopsy, the pathologist told me that actually he had suspected any kind of illegal drugs. And then so I thought it would be easier for me to find out things. But after a couple of days, we couldn't find anything. But there was something in his blood and his urine. So we couldn't find what that is. So we just compared all the libraries. And so... Having a library is also very important. So after several different kind of libraries, and I just tried to find, I found the one with very matched with that one. But actually, even though I found something is very similar to one, I had to know the chemical structure. Otherwise, I actually at that time we couldn't have a standard. So you had to know what would be the one from the basic, so whether it would be a benzodiazepines or it would be a something from acidic compound, just like a pesticides. When you have that kind of basic things, it will be much easier for you. Yeah, so having that knowledge of the chemistry yeah. is really important yeah. and, and the curiosity to keep curiosity. pursuing it yeah. and pursuing it because it's so easy to give up at any stage, isn't it? Yeah. When you haven't found anything, how long do you spend yeah. investigating it? You need to be really yeah. going for it. And so what do you see as the the next emerging technology over the next 20 years that's going to change the way that we do toxicology? I think even in toxicology, I think the mobile instrument would be the one that in the future they can use. Just like uh, when we just detect alcohol in the saliva, we can use a small instrument, we can just put it just like that. Actually, I'm a little bit worried about it. It's not accurate at all, but people would like to have at least just bullpark figure, not exact, not, not accurate concentration, but 
if they just want to some just ballpark figure, they would use that kind of level of chip, the technology to use to just identify some drugs or just measure the concentration of drugs. So I, I think just in the future, maybe it will move that way, just in the crime scene or something in the that. But mm, taking the, the laboratory the, out to the crime scene. Yeah, but for the research field, I think we have to... I think it will be very tough, and we need the, all the omics in the future, the proteomics, and all the omics we have to study more. So we have to think about how we can just collect all the big data, and we need to just manipulate big data to get our good results. Yeah, the data processing now, the, yeah. the data processing that's possible with computers yeah. today, and who knows what it's going to look like in 20 years' time. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable, isn't it? Mm. So you've had a lot of interaction over your career with other toxicologists from around the world, all throughout your career. Yeah. You've had a lot of interaction yeah. with other toxicologists. How's that, how valuable has that been to your own development and to your lab? I think it helped me a lot. If I didn't know TFT, the International Association of Toxicologists, I, I don't think I could be as I am. So I think it's very important to have a network with people especially in my field, to just communicate all the time. So when I attended the TFT meeting for the first time, 1990, in Denmark, I, I was just fascinated by the, all the things what they presented. And ever since, I, I just tried to just follow them. I just made an effort what I can do from the beginning. And I think that is very important. And even after that, whenever I attend the meeting, I try to present at least one paper so I can just get the peer review opinion from our colleagues. And it helped me a lot to just get in the right direction. So I think it's very important to, to just join the international meeting and attend the meeting and actively participate. Hmm. That's the most important. Speaking thing. of peer-reviewed papers, yeah. you, you've written a lot of papers yourself and you've reviewed a lot of other papers yeah. for international journals. Do you have any advice for uh, maybe young people who are wanting to start publishing papers yeah. and, and maybe not quite knowing how to do it or what to expect? I think it's really hard to write a paper at the beginning. Even though you have some result. You cannot know how can just make it happen to the papers. So in that case, I think it's very important to ask help to the senior, ask help somebody. And then you need to just communicate with somebody who is your mentor, your senior. So I think that's the best way you can just get your paper done. Mm, that's good advice. Some aspects of forensic toxicology are the same everywhere in the world, but then every region has their own unique challenges. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of the challenges in Korea and in that region for forensic toxicologists? Uh, actually, in Asia, just in Asia, when you just think about Southeast Asia, and actually we belong to East North Asia, even there are three countries, Japan, Korea, and China, all different, all very much different. And every country had their own problem with the substances. In Korea, as I mentioned at the plenary lecture, we have a problem with the methamphetamine. Mm. That's the only problem we just deal with all the time. Our countries are a bit similar in that yeah, way. Yeah. We have a big methamphetamine yeah, yeah, yeah. problem yeah. in Australia. But we don't have any 
case of cocaine or heroin. So it's very unique. And but actually the problem is we don't have a proper educational system for the forensic toxicologist. We just recruit people from the university when they just got from the university we train them in in house. So I think maybe we might need some kind of proper education to be a forensic toxicologist. But when I talk to the people in Southeast Asia, they don't have that kind of system either. So maybe in that in that region we need some kind of proper educational system, how we can just train the people in the right direction for the forensic toxicology. Well, you might be in the uh, perfect place to be doing that now because you've yeah, you've just moved in the last few years yeah. from the university. forensic uh, service into academia and yeah. at the university. So you're training the next generation of forensic toxicologists. Yeah. Can you tell us about what? How has that move been? Have you are you enjoying what you're doing now? Has there been any challenges with that move into academia? Actually, it's very different. Very different. Uh, when I was in government laboratory, I had. Uh, people who are trained, very talented people over there. They are all experienced ones. So everything just moves quickly over there. But at the university, I have only master and PhD students. They are learning. But actually, I like school very much, university very much. And actually, it's giving me rewarding things because in two years' time, they developed themselves a lot in two years. Actually, they didn't know anything about GCMS at the beginning. But when they graduate in two years' time, they are an expert using the GCMS. And they just, actually, in our school, we have special regulation. They have to publish the, at least one paper. Otherwise, they couldn't oh, graduate. That's why they work very hard. And when they have their own paper, I think that's the one. Really, I can just teach it to the real student. So it's very rewarding. You always remember your first paper that you published. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it was very treasure. <laughs> it's my treasure. <laughs> yeah. So I was interested to see that your lab's now doing some work with the hospitals and the emergency departments and testing to see what drugs people are on when they come into the emergency departments. That seems to be a real growing area around the world, and we're doing a bit of that here in Australia in different states what are you finding that's interesting from I this work? The reason why I started to that is that in Korea, there is no place to provide that kind of service to the emergency room. So I thought it would be very important, as you mentioned. Actually, somebody needed to give us some service. And for the patient, I think patients need to be treated properly. But if by the symptom, actually symptom would be, it's not all right, all the time. So in Korea, the medical doctors treat the patient by the symptoms all the time. But when I had a talk with them, they also just expressed it would be very nice and better for them to have any kind of identification of drugs, what they take. Because the patient always just told them something different, and sometimes it's not very reliable. So it would be better for them to know what kind of drug they just take. So that's the time I decided to have that kind of work. So I started that. And actually, surprisingly, people just 
committed suicide so much. I, I just couldn't believe it. There are so many people just want to commit a suicide and they jolt them one. They always take it. So it was very interesting for me to see that. And it also just medicines, medical postposedly prescribed drugs. They just use that kind of things to just in order to commit suicide. So that was just very interesting. Mm. And in Korea, actually my school is located in the south, a little bit south from Seoul. It's an agricultural area. So people also take uh, pesticides. So especially in pesticides, it needed to identify immediately. Otherwise, they could be killed. So we have to identify what kind of pesticides they take. So we, when we just provide that kind of information to the hospital, they can treat the patient in a proper way. So it was also very good rewarding. So yeah. are you providing that information back to the hospitals quite oh, yes. quickly then? Yeah. Actually, we try, we try to give them a service at least six hours and eight hours. But if we don't have, when we don't have any information at all, takes quite a long time. But when pol- when the hospitals informed us is it might be related with the po- pesticides or something and it'll be much easier for us to give them information, that kind of service immediately. It's interesting what you say about the doctors treating them symptomatically. Yeah. Because sometimes as we see with new psychoactive substances especially when you find fatalities, they're often taking more than one. Yeah. They might be taking an opioid and something a stimulant or yeah. something. And so you get these kind of unusual symptoms mm. from different types of drugs. So yeah, yeah I think finding, finding out what people are taking is really important. It's very important. And I think the doctors always just trust what they told to the doctors, what kind of drug take or family members. They just found something and they just give them it. But it wasn't true all the time. So we, at first, we tried to just compare the, what they take and what we can just determine in their biological fluid and the medical record. We just compared those two things. So it is, I think it's very important for us to identify something in patients to give them a proper treatment. So as just as we finish up our interview, is there a some advice that you would give to uh, a young scientist who's just starting out in their career in toxicology as someone who has accomplished a great deal Mm -hmm. in her career and still many more accomplishments ahead, I'm sure. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out? I would like to tell them to stay longer. I think that's the best thing. Actually, since I stayed at the National Forensic Service for 30 years, I became the president of that place. If I didn't stay longer... I couldn't be a president of that place. So, but if you want to stay longer, you have to like your job. Otherwise, you cannot stay that place longer. But it takes some time for you to like your job. You cannot like your job immediately. It takes always time to like some things. So I always advise younger generation to stay at least three years. And after three years, you can just think, whether you like it or not. So I would like to advise them stay longer, but I would like to tell you that one thing for the value. I like to greet, greet the perseverance and passion. So you have to have that kind of things in your mind and stay long. Then you will reach 
in certain point and you will just feel very much satisfied in the later on. So I think that's very important. To stay long is the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's great advice. Thank yes. you, Hisuna. Thank you so much for joining us for this interview. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And thanks to you, the listener. Hope you enjoyed this interview. Conferences are a great way to hear about the excellent work that's being done by colleagues all around the world. And let me take a minute to tell you about the FACTOR 2019 conference. That's the Forensic and Clinical Toxicology Association, which is the Australian Regional Association. And we have a conference in June next year, June 16 to 19, three days of solid toxicology. It's going to be fantastic. Mark LeBeau from the FBI lab in the US is going to be there. You can check out all the details at factor2019.com.au. And remember, you can contact us at thetoxpod at sa.gov.au. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Registration is now open for the 61st annual TAFT meeting taking place from the 2nd to the 6th of September 2024 in St. Gallen, Switzerland. The early bird rate is only available until May 31st, so be sure to register soon for the reduced rate at www.tft2024.org. We look forward to welcoming you to St. Gallen for an inspiring, engaging and enlightening conference.